when you look at genres like rock and pop, sometimes this feels very restrictive now. And we have the capacity to look at music on a more individualized level, I think because the audience has more influence over the music market than it used to. Hey, streamers and dreamers. My name is Otto Kent, and you're listening to The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. It's Thursday, November 16th, and this is your weekly update on music, culture, and what's next. For starters, here's our top headline. Join us, as always, after the deep dive for the other news turning our ears this week. A minimum annual value for streams on Spotify. Over the last month, there were many reports of big changes coming to Spotify. Now, one of the most controversial of those changes is official. Starting in 2024, a track must get at least 1,000 streams per year on Spotify before it can earn royalties. The goal behind this change was, I quote, to demonetize a population of tracks that today, on average, earn less than five cents per month. According to Spotify, that would lead to the redistribution of 40 million euros. But long story short, the change means it will become even more difficult for rising artists to make any kind of money from the streaming service. And Spotify was already changing the way that artists made music to play by the rules of the platform. Plays only count when someone listens to 30 seconds of a track. And if the track is skipped, then it counts as a non-complete herd and makes Spotify less likely to recommend it in the algorithm. That means a general trend towards shorter songs and longer albums. It's a sad truth that artists who don't follow these trends have a harder time getting attention and making any money from the site. And this change only makes it worse. Here in Berlin, if you ask someone on the dance floor what music they're into, you'll likely get a blanket reply like techno or house. But it's just as likely that they'll say they're into some community or club or city or scene that reflects more of a general subcultural identity than a specific musical one. I mean, taste and fandom has like always been tied to our identities, but today it seems like musical genres themselves are being replaced by identity-driven scenes. At least according to music researcher Chris Takrar, who recently wrote a piece for the music industry blog Media Research analyzing the increasing primacy of identity when it comes to fandom and listening habits. He argues that scenes and subcultures defined by elements of identity are more powerful than genres as defined by elements of musicality. For example, someone might say they're into sad girl more than just indie, or UK African diaspora instead of the more sprawling jazz type. That sense of identity may come from language, location, sexuality, gender, or otherwise, but it affects how musicians make their music and how we listen to it. We wanted to talk more about how this shift in emphasis from musical genre to identity-driven scenes is experienced by fans and what it could mean for artists and fans. And to do so, we invited Krista Bell to the studio. Krista is based in Berlin. She's a radio host, DJ, promoter, and a longtime artist relationships rep at music software company Ableton. And also, Krista and I love comparing how our internet age gap affects how we interact with music. So I figured that they would be the best person to debate this tug of war between genre and identity, if that's even a real distinction at all. So let's dive in. Krista Bell, thanks for joining us in the studio today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope people get a visual of your incredible outfit that you came in. You came in to rock. Oh, thank you. You're the first person that has worn a two-piece suit to the week. 
Well, you know, music industry. Oh, we are getting into the music industry. We're here. Might as well cosplay your job. Today, we're going to get into something that could be quite controversial with music fans. We're going to talk about genres. Mm -hmm. Genre tags, the genreization of a sound or a, a grouping of instruments or a grouping of scenes. We read an article on the show last week that talks about music identity. It is research from a company called Media Research. They're analyzing the differences between the way that we identify with music-driven scenes that are more sad girl or African diaspora, things that you might find in a meme starter pack. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start by asking you, did you get a second to look at this article? Yes, I did. So is it bogus? No, I think like music has always played a significant role in how we define our personalities, right? Like it influences lifestyle, fashion, social life, and even our experience of sex and gender. I think fundamentally music consumers are the same as they always have been, but the ways we're creating, releasing, and consuming music, it's all much faster and more flexible than it used to be. And because of that, music is more eclectic. There's less at stake in releasing because there are so many of these new emergent music markets. So I think like when you look at genres like rock and pop, sometimes this feels very restrictive now, and we have the capacity to look at music on a more individualized level, I think because the audience has more influence over the music market than it used to. And record companies and music industry at large has to pay attention. And of course, platforms that we listen to music on, like streaming services or SoundCloud, the technology has to do with this. But audiences drive what is successful in technology. So I used to think, you know, Spotify is pushing us towards listening to music in a totally different way. But I do think actually audiences have always wanted this kind of music listening that's more based on mood and identity. But um, the market didn't allow for it. That's so interesting. I guess I haven't really thought about the way in which when you go to a live concert and a band expands on a song from an album, and it's a lot of it, the, the amount of the the break or the amount of the jam can often depend on the mood of the crowd as well. Totally. And in those moments where everyone's been bootlegging those shows for years, it's like a, it's a claim for the possibilities that that band has outside of these recording studios and these pressures to put out certain length songs or all of that. And maybe there is something happening where the feedback of what bands can make and share and what they can hear from their fans directly because of the internet has taken some of that jam vibe that you hear at the shows where like, oh, they brought a drum machine with them this time, but they never do that on the album. Yeah. There's new things that are exciting to listeners. But again, I think that it always goes back to like, this was a desire always that didn't have an outlet. Like when we think about how hard it was for people to make mixtapes in the past. You would like take a cassette and go on the radio and press record just right when that song you wanted was, or um, you would listen to albums and go to that one track that suited your mood. And you'd do that with all your albums and make a mixtape of that mood. Or you would just listen to one album and find that song that suited you and listen to it on repeat. Right. It's like, this was always audience behavior. And it's so funny because I think I started thinking about this in the negative sense. Like, I love the album and the art of the album, and I don't want to see that die. 
But at the same time, I'm like, would we be so precious about albums if we hadn't been forced into that method of listening to begin with? Right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't expect us to go here so quickly. Let's 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 pull back for a second because I think we're going to go down a rabbit hole that could last two hours as usual. It's this just like we're at a party. Genre talks. <laughs> genre talks. We didn't L- come here to play. So let's do something fun. What is a identity driven genre or like kind of one of these NU new genres that might only pop up on a Spotify playlist tag name Mm. or a Spotify playlist title that you identify with right now? I guess because I'm so focused on music technology often, I'm really interested in like the sonic qualities of music. And one genre that I'm really into right now is called Squee. Nice. What is Squee? It's essentially like... I played a lot of video games growing up, and so I've always had an affinity for, like, chiptune music and stuff that kind of has that playfulness. Like, the soundtrack to the video game Katamari Damacy, I think, is, like, a masterpiece. Um, Like, Squee is essentially an onomatopoeia for this kind of higher register synthesizer sound, but it's, like, funk, basically. It's, like, yeah, video game funk music. It's really cute. If you go on TikTok or or Instagram, will you find, like, a visual aesthetic related to Squee? Yeah, I think often because it's related to video gaming, there's a bit of, like, a two-bit imagery that you'll find. You know, like, that original Pokemon two-bit graphics for Game Boy Color, but done up in a really um, colorful and modern and playful way. Nice. Are there any YouTube reviewers of purely Squee or are there like newsletters dedicated to Squee? How, how do you like, how do you find all the Squee? Is it just playlists? It was one TikToker that's doing a deep dive into a lot of different genres. He's like, I want to demonstrate, you know, like genre openness. So I'm listening to every genre I can possibly find. And he does a TikTok on each one. And Squee was one that landed on my For You page Sick. Because of who I am. and Go and, algorithm. Yeah, go algorithm. And so, yeah, <laughs> after that, it was a Spotify playlist that okay. this TikToker had made. Well, I'm really into something that I think I found mostly through Spotify and through um, TikTok, which is this genre called depressive breakcore. Yes. <laughs> and it's it, there's like digipop and then there's like other ways of there's so many different ways of describing it right it is very monolithic in terms of its sound but the culture around it seems super super wide because it goes really really into these very specific anime movies and people's finding themselves through these songs that all realize that they watched these niche anime movies from like 10 15 years ago that are all constantly being sampled Mm -hmm. in this sound that feels new because it has so much emotion related to it. It's like, imagine if the break core of the 2000s that was fairly unlistenable unless you were into punk music or noise made a baby with trance music like and fun ambient. And Sounds so, phenomenal. Yeah, it feels like music is speaking to our teenage selves, you know? Oh, like, I'm so, so happy for the kids. Oh, I am one of the kids with them. Yeah. I love it. But I also find that me trying to understand how these things come together, it's like impossible without Reddit. It's impossible without, like, maybe a YouTuber or a TikToker. And for today's discussion, there's someone that I'll put in the show notes uh, who has kind of 
really gone viral for their trend forecasting or their way of explaining what we think is this identity-driven scene thing. And they're a TikToker called The Algorithm. And they have done these like phenomenal breakdowns of like the cult of celebrity and like occult and seascape and AR retail. And it's all of these things that I think are becoming playlists. Mm -hmm. These like these topics that become, for example, a meme starter pack. And then all of a sudden there's like one album that's on the meme starter pack that hasn't been around for five years or 10 years. And, and the way in which music is starting to like mix up because of the way that they're being picked up for memes Mm -hmm. that hasn't really been in the playlists for quite a while and certainly isn't being played on radio unless it's some like 90s jams radio station. I mean, I love what you said before about the anchor and some of these styles being like a movie because that is so open and it's so much less restrictive. Like the way that we used to see genre categorization happen, it could be very um, sex, race, age, you know, driven, like identity driven in a way that uh, is more dangerous or, or has more pitfalls, right? And when... I can't help but think of like punk black and the punk black movement and how much more representation there's been, for example, in like black artists being heavily into cosplay and anime and that like there would be new subgenres that are sort of anime based that would have such a like non-segregated audience like that just wouldn't have happened historically based on the way we described music. So I'm personally very excited about that. Cool. I'm like more excited about this conversation than I thought I was. I, well, I have to say when we talked about it on the show last week, there were some people that dropped in the DMs and were like, this is bogus. Yeah. And I really felt where they were coming from. A lot of them were musicians, of course, people that like have deep, deep knowledge of the way in which they promote their own music and the way they've been music fans since forever. Mm-hmm. And I, I do agree with them just because I was very, very attached to music as my identity. And when I was growing up, it helped me come out of the closet. It helped me really navigate the world, my relationship to bands that like helped me figure out how to dress. And I just have always felt like genres weren't so tied down, especially one for me in high school, which was Riot Girl, mm. where it was like, yes, a lot of the bands, if you put them side by side, probably had similar-ish looks and maybe even some similar writers. But in in the general form, it wasn't music to riot to straight up, you mm-hmm. know, like people weren't throwing all tough cocktails anywhere. And it wasn't really punk in the traditional sense. I mean, there was a lot of synthesizers and drum machines involved. And, and then you went further out and the idea of Riot Girl became basically just like a queer identity driven scene. Mm-hmm. So to me, I'm like, okay, what's different here? It is playlisting. It is social media. What do you think is different? Well, I think like Riot Girl is a perfect example of what now would be considered one of these micro scenes we see playlisted. Like they didn't fit into punk. They didn't fit into like pure anarchy like that. And I think, yeah, there are examples from history that we can see that we're seeing now manifesting. And there's no way to imagine that in a current context because just the creation of this music is so different. But I do link things like Riot Girl to what we're seeing now. Cool. Okay, so maybe what we're talking about is that those things were ahead of their time in terms of the ways in which genres might be able to gain some popularity traction 
in a music industry sense. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like a hyper acceleration, right? Because previously, I think as much as genre categories tried to put people in boxes, people also really tried to sound like those genre categories. And there would be breakout artists that would push against it so hard that they would create something new, right? Now, because of the like breadth of music that's being created and the different experiences the music producers have, like we're just getting these genre mashups and mood mashups and cultural mashups that are happening at such a rapid speed. There's just no like these things need their own specific definitions and subcultures and it just happens and i think music technology and music like industry as we knew it is just trying to keep up and what we're seeing right now with playlisting is like the response to that absolutely wow i want to actually talk about spotify specifically mm -hmm. because I mean, it can be such an eye roll to like continue to talk about it. And people are like, why are we only talking about Spotify? Like there's so many other places that we can listen. There's so many countries that don't even have access to it still. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, you really can't do that to this conversation. There has to be other ways to, to approach this. But Spotify specifically has an effect because it's becoming the Walmart of music. Mm -hmm. And it is reaching more countries by the year. And... This outlet called The Pudding published a digital project looking at the most popular genres from 2016 and 2023, ranked by streams on Spotify. The top 25 in 2023 included a lot of like trap Latino, reggaeton, musica Mexica, and modern Bollywood. And some people are, would like to frame that in the way in which Spotify has taken more market share in other countries and how that necessarily pushes the idea that genres that become popular become popular across the landscape versus popular because they're blowing up. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I think in my experience, music categorization often serves the consumer more than it serves the artist. And while it's very empowering that there's more like global, a more globalized music market, for example, I mean, like, the Bad Bunnies and the Rosalias, like the emergence of South American music in like North American pop music and the influence that that's had globally, like can't be ignored. But at the same time, I do worry about how limiting tags can also be like maybe just because you speak a certain language, all of a sudden you'll be seen as this like diasporic genre when really what you're trying to do like transcends just your regional or cultural experience. So while I really like celebrate how much, again, audience are driving music in different languages and of different regional styles, like those are getting pushed up the charts. I also just have my eye on it to make sure that we're not like being restrictive and, and putting people in boxes because of identity factors that they'd rather not be defined by actually in their musical output. So on that note, I want to switch gears because you and I both read this article called Sad Girl Music and Its Consequences. Mm -hmm. And I mean, realistically, of all of the mood identity driven playlists that is center to this conversation, it's probably Sad Girl Music mm -hmm. because it's been around for so long and it continues to just like dominate the um, criticism, music criticism world. And this is actually a really interesting article because it talks about almost all the stuff we've talked about up until this point. Mm -hmm. But it also really kind of makes a claim for something that is old that might seem new 
and all the ways in which why it seems new and it charts it with the virality on TikTok. And it does a lot of this like bridging with Tumblr. Mm -hmm. What did you think of the article? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I'm still kind of soaking it in, but I think what resonated with me the most was like artists' opinions on being labeled as sad girl. Like I remember Lucy Dacus, who has a great solo output, but is a member of Boy Genius with famous sad girl Phoebe Bridgers. And she was like, you know, I've got a bone to pick with this because I don't think my music's sad. (laughs) (laughs) But I do understand the aesthetic. And like, I was a Tumblr girly. Obviously, I mean, like, give me a still image of like a rose or like, I don't know, a gif of Lana Del Rey, like looking down in black and white in her car. It was like goals, you know, (laughs) Um, and sometimes when you feel, I don't know if I've felt depressed, if I felt sad, I mean, you just want to soak in that mood. I mean, I was from the like Bonnie Vare skinny love generation, you know, and it's interesting that in the article it goes over how. You don't have to be a girl to fit into a sad girl aesthetic. Like Bonnie Vare and who else was it? Jack Harlow and stuff. They also fit into this aesthetic. So it's interesting that something could start as like an identity driven thing, like a girl. Um, But then, in fact, that becomes something larger than that identity that many different people fit into. Yeah, I love the way that Radiohood gets mentioned in this article and a couple other um, male music figures or bands that are all male that are identified as all male. And in essence, there's this way in which people get endorsed through a community understanding of something. Mm -hmm. And even the idea that a band that wasn't necessarily included in that canon 10, 15 years ago, now as everyone's grown up and a lot of the noise has um, died down, there's only so many bands that everyone are like, well, I still have to have my radio head. Mm. And now it gets lumped into a sad girl category because, well, you got to listen to Radiohead anyway, and it's got to be on my playlist and it fits this mood. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I always think like I, I had this ongoing joke with myself and my friends, like anytime I heard something beautiful and moving out, I was like, what is this? And I would Shazam it. And it was always the Darudi column, <laughs> like every time. Tight. And Darudi column also was one of these bands that would fit into this kind of ambient lounge, ambient mood despite, you know, them gaining recognition in the 80s and then kind of being resurfaced now. I think Cocteau Twins are also a great example of what we're seeing in almost like the sad girl aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so much more to unpack here. I am so happy that you came in to talk about this today (laughs) because, of course, you ended up going way deeper and making me, as usual, like something that I think I was going to (laughs) hate. I do think the takeaway for me today is that identity-driven scenes is actually, in a way, a conversation starter for people outside of the music industry. And if that can get people to shows and that can get people to buying records, the fandom that comes from the idea of being lumped into some odd new genre tag that isn't a genre, I think that that is a positive. So somehow we found the positive today. So I was knocked down for. So yeah, if you're a sad girl and you're in the starter pack, like as long as you're taking that starter pack to a show and buying a shirt or even making a bootleg and like causing some kind of a secondary market for that artists like 
cool, I'm into it. Yeah, and also be critical of that. If you hear Lucy Dacus and you're like, this song isn't sad, talk to your friends about it. Because we've always pushed against genre definitions, and that creates its own cultures and its own social life for you and your friends who are also music fans. I also love the takeaway that these genres are pushing against the industry and the crazier you identify with your music and the crazier you take it online and the more popular you make it, the more you're pushing against the traditional ways in which artists have not been able to get paid oh or, or be experimental. Execs so. are reeling and I love to see it. All right. Well, I'm reeling away from this conversation <laughs> so that I can start a subgenre. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio, Krista. It was enlightening. Thank you so much for having me. And now let's hit the other headlines that matter this week. Missy Elliott is hip-hop's first lady. After more than three decades in the hip-hop game, Missy Elliott, the Planet Rocka showstopper herself, is now the first female rapper in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Nothing sounded the same after Missy came on the scene. Nothing. All the kick snares and everything changed. The bass lines changed. The pockets changed. The cadence. The writing. That was Queen Latifah as she inducted Missy. And I think we can all agree what Missy managed to do was life-changing. She has sold over 40 million records worldwide, won four Grammys, and paved the way for so many women in the music industry. And while this is, of course, good news and a great honor for Missy Elliott, one must ask, why is she the first female rapper in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to begin with? Even if it's not a place that we pay that much attention to in the first place, what about all the other great ones like salt and Peppa, Queen Latifah, Lil' Kim? Missy is the first black female MC in there, but she's alone, so hopefully not for long. Get it together, guys. Rap history is slipping away online. Speaking of history or herstory, there are legitimate concerns about the preservation of hip-hop history in general. If you grew up digging on platforms like YouTube and Bandcamp, you might think of them as permanent cultural archives. Turns out they are not. Big surprise. In a recent piece for Pitchfork, Alphonse Pierre wrote about how regional rap classics slowly disappear online. Pierre describes how they are searching online in vain for music that accompanied them on every bus ride during their childhood and now ask themselves, where even are they? It's especially difficult to find music by small artists from small cities. One reason for this is the demise of the platform Dat Piff. It was home to a large mixtape archive from the 2000s and 2010s. Dead Piff was shut down in March and rap fans thought the music had disappeared forever. Eventually, the company announced that it was working on the next version of Dead Piff and entered into a partnership with the Internet Archive. But now, months later, fans are still waiting. Another threat to hip-hop classics can be that many early mixtapes and DJ mixes use unauthorized samples, so they'll never make it to Spotify, simply for legal reasons. Maybe they're still circulating somewhere on YouTube or SoundCloud, but here too the question is, for how much longer? So is it time to get a hard drive out again and download all those gems and save them to your collection? With hip-hop's 50th anniversary happening this year, it might be a good time more than ever to get on that cloud and save the history. Alternative jazz becomes a new category at the Grammys. This is the first new category in the jazz genre field since 1995. This new category recognizes a new generation in this traditional genre sphere. 
In recent years, only established artists were honored in the existing categories. These included Ron Carter, Wayne Shorter, and Chick Corea, all of whom played with Miles Davis in the late 1960s and early 70s, total legends. Less conventional musicians were being Wayne shorted out of a nomination op. When the Recording Academy finally announced the new category, it said that alternative jazz can be defined as a cross-genre enveloping hybrid that blends jazz with other genres. Okay. This could also explain why, for example, Corey Henry's Live at the Piano, which some would probably describe as a gospel album, is among this category's noms. A real alternative for me would be Aruf Afchab, who also got in the noms this year. The other new categories for the Grammys appearing this year for the first time are Best Pop Dance Recording and Best African Music Performance. As usual, I won't be watching the Grammys, so drop in my DMs to let me know who won. So this week, my recommendation is simple. Saucy Santana. For those of you in the know, you might have seen the rap beef going on between hip-hop's most talked-about internet villain, no, not Takeshi69, but DJ Academics, and queer southern rap hero Saucy Santana. Saucy is known for many a viral hit like Material Girl, for example, but you may also know his razor-sharp bars, which often appear on the City Girls albums and singles, a commercially successful southern rap duo. His unapologetic, gender-bending street style and demeanor have the macho rap world confused and upset. So when academics started to take shot at the City Girls, Saucy took to his socials to fire back to protect his collab partners and best friends. They actually met in a hair salon that Saucy worked at before he became a musical sensation. So I'll put a link to the diss track Saucy put out called Meet Me in the Streets" in the show notes. For queer hip-hop fans and rap fans alike, hearing Saucy flip unapologetically gay code and homophobic slang to slay this viral beef feels massive. Enjoy. So that's all for the week this week. Thank you for locking in. We'll be back here next Thursday. Take care and remember to stop scrolling. The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories. 